Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Science, Technology, and Society. I'm Lance Thurner, host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Professor Pablo Gomez, Associate Professor in the Department of History and the Department of Medical History and Bioethics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And we'll be talking about his new book, Experiential Caribbean, Creating Knowledge and Healing in the Early Modern Atlantic, out last year from the University of North Carolina Press. And Experiential Caribbean examines the strategies by which health and spiritual practitioners in the Caribbean claimed knowledge about the natural world during the 17th century. With penetrating research and analysis, Gomez illustrates how these specialists of African descent devised localized ways of knowing health, nature, and the body while working within cosmopolitan Caribbean societies in which ritual traditions from around the world intersected. And in a region that was of majority African descent, these practitioners rose to become the intellectual leaders, devising epistemological innovations that spoke to, engaged with, and were parallel with European scientific developments, but have hitherto never been included in intellectual history. So, Pablo, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lance. Yes. So, um, can we start a little bit about how you came to this project? And I understand that your initial... Uh, postgraduate degree was an MD, and I'm wondering a little bit how you get from that to uh, the experiential Caribbean. Yeah, that is a good question. So, yes, I, I uh, uh, before becoming a historian, I, be, I was a, a physician, an orthopedic surgeon, and um, and I came here to the States initially to do uh, research and a clinical fellowship on uh, orthopedic uh, surgery. Uh, but after spending a couple of years of working and thinking about uh, these issues of, uh, of corporality and the philosophy of science, I had a, an opportunity to work with uh, several people at the University of Iowa. I decided to undertake uh, grad studies in history and specifically in the history of medicine and science uh, with a focus obviously on Latin American history and the Caribbean more specifically. I um, I came initially to grad school with the idea of working on 20th century histories of uh, of uh, uh, orthopedic surgery and more generally of uh, uh, the industry around implants. But uh, after I took a course with who ended up being my mentor, uh, Professor Jane Landers, um, it became obvious to me that, that there was a whole uh, field that had been kind of left outside of what we consider traditional histories of science and medicine, and that is the uh, the type of uh, knowledge production about the natural world, about the body, that most of the people living in the Caribbean uh, actually developed. Uh, and uh, that is the reason why uh, I switched uh, uh, focus very early in my grad career. I, I believe it was during my first or second semester, and uh, started working with uh, these uh, spaces. Uh, the other reason that I, uh, that I ended up working specifically on the 17th century Caribbean was uh, that it is a world that usually left outside of the histories of the Atlantic and the region, in the sense that when we think about the Caribbean, we usually think about plantation uh, spaces, uh, plantation-based economies, and um, and the systems that uh, that uh, that they develop, and obviously, and for good reasons, right? Like uh, the the Caribbean, uh, and specifically places like Jamaica, Barbados, Cuba, Saint-Domingue, 
they figure prominently in the histories of the Atlantic uh, as, as spaces for the imagination of uh, models of capitalism as uh, uh, places for the development of racialized plantation systems and the uh, the emergence of first ideas of race, for instance, and also in, in terms of histories of science uh, as spaces for exploration and uh, experimentation later in the uh, 18th, 19th and 20th century. Uh, but the 17th century, uh, I believe, uh, occupies a, a crucial space uh, in not only the histories of the region, but more largely in the histories of what we uh, tend to think as histories of science, right? Obviously, the vaunted uh, scientific revolution, uh, with all the uh, with all the caveats that uh, historians of the Iberian world have have uh, developed over the past decades, and yet uh, these spaces that were populated. Mostly people of African descent, as you said before, but also that, that did not conform to those uh, uh, to those ideas about uh, uh, slavery uh, as uh, basically shaping uh, the whole cultural and social systems. There was the spaces where, by the end of the 17th century, most people were free, inhabited by uh, people of African descent, and many of them were not necessarily. Uh, just Bosales uh, or Africans just uh, uh, arrived from uh, uh, the old world uh, or even first or second generation. They have been established there for several decades already. So it was a space that, that, that was rich, that was uh, that had the country with very, very uh, important records that also had not been explored in this way uh, in, in the historiography. So uh, it became obvious to me that this was a very important uh, history uh, to tell and uh, one that uh, provided uh, plenty of opportunities for interventions in uh, in uh, traditional histories, not only of science and medicine, but more largely of the Caribbean itself uh, and in the conceptualization of what it means to be a black, what it means to be a person of African descent, what is the position that these uh, historical actors occupied in the histories of the Atlantic. That's great. And so this is a history of the Caribbean as opposed to saying that uh, your narrative is a history of, say, coastal Colombia or Venezuela or Panama. Um, what's the significance of it being a Caribbean-wide project? I believe that the, I mean, it, is, it is crucial to understand this not as a, as a history that is bounded by the usual regimes of uh, the nation state or the biased royalties, right? But this is the other thing about the, about the, uh, about the project that was exciting for me. Uh, the, uh, most, of his, most histories of colonial Latin America, and again, for good reason, focus on the biased royalties of New Spain or Peru uh, and, and later in the, in the New Granada. Uh, the Caribbean does not conform well to to these uh, narratives, to these imperial uh, bounded histories, uh, and uh, because it was a region that it was uh, only either British or, well, in this case, English or French or uh, Spanish in the imagination of Europeans, right? Uh, these spaces were very fluid uh, in terms of uh, their. Uh, the mobility of the populations that uh, inhabit them, uh, the the cultural uh, spaces that de were developed there. So, so in that sense, it was also very fruitful for for uh, the exploration of different kinds of uh, cultural, but also material and experiential products. Right. Um, so, the Caribbean, in 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 the case of the book, uh, encompasses. Uh, 
a space that goes from South Florida uh, all the way to, as you say, Cumaná, uh, uh, the province of Cumaná in what today is Venezuela, uh, going through Cuba, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Panama, uh, Veracruz, and, and it centers in the northern part of the New Kingdom of Granada, what today is Colombia, uh, also a region that usually has been left outside of those histories of the Caribbean, which is odd uh, if we uh, consider that Cartagena was uh, probably, especially during the first decades of the 17th century, during the last decades of the uh, 16th and first decade of the 17th century, uh, the uh, main city in the region, the central space for uh, the uh, arrival of African slaves and um, the uh, uh, bringing of uh, gold and silver from the New Granada and partially from uh, Peru too. Um, and it was a space also that uh, Cartagena specifically, where you will have a congregation of uh, of cosmopolitan congregation of people coming from all over uh, Europe, Africa, and, and the Americas. Uh, so it, it, it doesn't conform very well with that, with those histories that we know so well about colonial Latin America. Partially also because the indigenous populations uh, that uh, become the basis of uh, uh, the viceroyalties of uh, New Spain and and, and uh, Peru uh, were not present. Uh, they did not disappear, as as, uh, as, uh, as many histories of the Caribbean will have it. It is true that eighty to ninety percent of the population disappear, but uh, uh, but they they certainly were decimated. And there were also populations that were on the move. I'm talking about the indigenous population, the Amerindians in the northern part of the New Kingdom of Granada, and in other places like like Puerto Rico or Hispaniola. Uh, and so the people that your book is about, uh, at one point you mentioned that you're going to call them, for the purpose of the book, Mohanes or Moanes. Um, can you describe who these people are and um, why you chose that term for them? Yes. Um, I, I guess I was lucky. Uh, Mohan or Moan is a, is, is a, is a mythological figure that, that uh, is prominent, in, especially in Colombian and Venezuelan uh, popular uh, culture and, and histories. The um, the term was specifically um, used to refer to these actors by uh, Spanish inquisitors. So uh, and and specifically refers uh, in the way in which is is described in the in the record as a master of uh, sorcerers. So it it encompasses a, a certain kind of hierarchy, right? Uh, and it was very important for me to. To underscore how these uh, these historical actors, um, most of them slaves, many of them Africans, um, um, a lot of them also women, uh, were not working the uh, kind of in the periphery of of the systems of knowledge production in the region or uh, uh, the marketplace of healing. That they were at the center. They were um, masters of their of their craft. And that uh, they were, uh, as I said before, uh, crucial in the in the creation of uh, ways of uh, being in the world. And I think that that is also crucial here, in 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 at least in the way I conceive of the project that the, that the, that they were not all only influencing isolated populations of African slaves or blacks in in. Uh, in small towns outside of the big uh, cities, Cartagena, Havana, or San Juan, 
but they were at the center of how people thought the world and specifically their bodies worked. Um, so this is a history that 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 uh, aims to 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 recognize and to see them uh, as the powerful figures that they were, right? Uh, something that that, be- that became possible to me because of the kind of records that that uh, that came out of the uh, Holy Office in Cartagena de Indias, the Inquisition, uh, and the type of records that uh, the type of uh, of uh, evidence that these records convey. So. It's um, more specifically about who they were, uh, and I have a, in the book I, I have a, a, a table that compiles uh, some of the many, many, many records that I was able to recover. Uh, I, I included in, the, in that table uh, some of the most important actors, and certainly those for whom I was able to recover specifically practices of engagement uh, with uh, descri- descriptions of the natural world and the body. Uh, but like them, there are other hundreds of uh, of these actors that uh, inhabited uh, the Caribbean throughout the uh, 17th century. So you begin the book with one of them, a, a man named Bernardo Macaya, and uh, his voyage to Cartagena. Can you describe a little bit of who he was and, and why you began the book that way? So Bernardo Macaya uh, is a fascinating uh, character, right? This is somebody who... Have been working in in, uh, in Portobello, uh, around Portobello, in, in in Panama, and uh, who was a renowned ritual practitioners operating around the region. Uh, it's important to to recognize that when we talk here about these sort of practices, we're not only talking about healing practices, but practices that, because of the way of, of the conception or the ideas, the ontology, the ideas about the world that these people had. Uh, and I'm not only talking about Africans, but also uh, the Spaniards, uh, Creoles, uh, Native Americans, and all the the, the other uh, Europeans uh, inhabiting the region. The, these claims had a political import, right? These practices were practices that made claims about control over not only the spiritual world but the physical world. And it is that that is the reason why uh, they become object of uh, prosecution by the Inquisition that we have to remember was a political arm also of the Spanish monarchy. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, the Inquisition in Cartagena de Indias was established initially to control uh, Protestants and, and Jews coming into the new world. So these practices are, are practices that go beyond ideas about uh, uh, again, uh, alternative types of medicine or uh, or practices around nature that we can uh, kind of seclude into uh, cultural studies. No, these, these were practices that had very real consequences, very material consequences in that world of Cartagena. And that was exactly what happened with Bernardo, who was uh, initially from uh, West uh, Central Africa and who uh, became embroiled in uh, in basically uh, the, the the political regime of Portobello in ways that make him uh, target a uh, political target of the governor of uh, of uh, Cartagena and the chief constable specifically in in, in Panama in Portobello in Panama um, uh, Bernardo uh, as many of the of the other practitioners that I described. Uh, uh, 
had power uh, for uh, over uh, natural elements, and um, it was only after a lot of negotiations that uh, uh, that he agreed to, to for instance, as, as I mentioned in the book, to let the sea become calm enough for the ship ship to sail. Uh, the, at least these are the testimonies of the people living uh, with uh, Bernardo, the people who uh, basically um, captured him and, and brought him to to the city. Uh, but these were people that, as I said before, were extremely powerful, uh, extremely powerful in ways that that are hard to to translate into our biomedicalized world, in which uh, these two spaces, the spaces of corporality and the natural world, are separated from that political realm. Uh, but these the, these claims about how the world works and who uh, who is able to control it are, are very important. Another uh, crucial part of, of, of the book, uh, at least for me, is something that, that I become uh, more and more uh, interested in, in kind of underscoring. Yeah. And so other scholars who study such people, uh, there tends to be kind of two ways of looking at them, either that they are uh, uh, preserving and using a sort of African tradition that's being brought to the new world, or that they are sorcerers and uh, witchcraft. They're using witchcraft to resist the, um, the system of slavery. And you seem to avoid both of those modes of interpretation and present something very new. Can you explain a bit about that? Yes, uh, this is something that that um, that I was uh, that it's at the center of the book, right? Like, I think that uh, the ways uh, in which we portray uh, people like Bernardo Macaya or Paula de Guiluz or Antonio Congo uh, is uh, kind of follows, as you said, uh, these trajectories that tend to uh, locate them in, in these actors in, in interests that are, uh, for my taste, uh, mainly concerned with specific ideas about uh, either products coming from Africa or ways of resisting, right, uh, the hegemony of uh, that uh, those uh, colonial imperial spaces uh, and, and in those uh, sort of views uh, the creativity the way in w- the, the inventivity of of these uh, actors become lost right the, these are not people that were mainly interested in in holding on to to those uh, mores that they, they brought with them uh, those who came from Africa or in preserving them if they were born in the Caribbean in this world that, as I said before, was not necessarily marred by the, the, the constraints of plantation slavery, uh, these, uh, uh, these, uh, these uh, Mohanes uh, basically were involved mostly in process of imagining and creating um, strategies to deal with the world as, as it was. And I think um, part of uh, the issue here is, is something that has been pointed out uh, by by uh, many theories in, in the in the Caribbean, like Trio, uh, uh, Glissant, that the uh, the notion of uh, of uh, of uh, that these uh, these are religious uh, products, right, uh, or cultural products products is, is essential part of of, uh, of the historicism, right, in which we we kind of tend to incorporate these histories. Uh, we also have to remember that it was in the 17th century, specifically when that divide between culture and nature was uh, born in Europe, right. But the but the projects of uh, the 
natural philosophers and natural historians. Uh, and it is in that specific uh, moment when these histories become object of uh, somehow uh, cultural studies, right? Uh, that somehow these people are not dealing with the world as it is, but that, that they are dealing with interpretations uh, about a world that is best described since the 17th century, supposedly through scientific practices. Uh, but if we actually take and, and inhabit the world that they are living, we realize that uh, these are not uh, practices that uh, that uh, that go uh, and only uh, become dis- describable through that uh, cultural realm, right? Like that, that these are practices that, as I said before, are very much involved in the shaping and the exploration, the classification of the world. Uh, it just happens that they do not conform very well with the epistemologies created, uh, the kind of the systems of uh, knowing the world that came out of Europe and that uh, came to define the ways in which we ourselves do history and in which historical practices were developed. Uh, so it is in that space that, that, that these books enters also in, in, in trying to make an intervention. Yes. And so, you know, the, the, the attention of the book is to how these men and women adapted their practices, took on new ones, uh, learned about new environments and new populations. Um, and the book is extremely rich in that regard, and we're certainly not going to be able to cover all of it. But can you describe to a small extent how they changed and how they learned and how they uh, sought to um, uh, ground their authority in this cosmopolitan world? Absolutely. So one of, one of the first things that, that, that became very apparent to me is that, uh, as I said before, Cartagena uh, and, and the Caribbean became the, re- the recipient of, uh, of uh, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of African slaves. As a matter of fact, uh, the Spanish Caribbean uh, was uh, the recipient of the vast majority of the slaves coming into the new world up to 1670. So we're talking about that deep Caribbean that uh, through, the, through the history of uh, uh, communities of African descent in the new world, we have to look at this uh, and how is that they did it, right? Uh, these were communities that did not have uh, uh, hundreds of, uh, uh, of uh, people coming from, for instance, the Valley of Benin or, uh, or of uh, West Central Africa or of Benguela or uh, Congo, they uh, were uh, cosmopolitan in their own way, right? Uh, and it was an African cosmopolitanism. Uh, because of that, it was hard for ritual practitioners to kind of resort to the the the, the, the same sort of uh, of uh, rituals or uh, linguistic practices that would be recognizable for uh, for their uh, for their clientele or for their communities, the communities that they were attempting to form in the in, in the in the Caribbean, uh, and in that the, the experiential, the 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 resort to what becomes tangible, what becomes um, becomes audible, what becomes what you can see visible, what you can smell, uh, it, it was crucial, right? Uh, and as I said before, the the, the the clientele of these practitioners were not only people of African descent, but also Europeans and Native Americans. And in the in the book, I, I I make reference to some of the most prominent examples, right? Because I think that they underscore uh, the the reach of their practices, like bishops, the archbishop of the New Granada, 
uh, the governor uh, of uh, Cuba, the uh, lawyers, etc., etc., but also Amerindian communities in encomiendas where they were summoned to heal Amerindians, right? And if you think about it, it was crucial for them to be able to to experiment to uh, to and to promote their own practices through something that uh, that spoke uh, or rather that was um, uh, the people coming from all these different spaces were able to feel to to sense to experience uh, and and in, in, that is why people like Mateo Arara experimented with uh, with plants in, in uh, as he said before, in the, the term that he used to refer to Europeans, uh, in, in Christians, right? specific plants for Christians. Um, people like Antonio Congo also had uh, 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 gardens of botanicals also for that specific purpose. They experimented on themselves and in other patients. Uh, and, and in this, this is another uh, very interesting thing that happened they came up with concepts about the universality of human bodies that uh, that uh, most people uh, tend to think were only developed or were starting to develop in Europe only by the end of the 17th century. But uh, for these uh, people of African descent, uh, it was uh, it was evident that the, the body had universal characteristics and different uh, the treatments that were effective in 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 uh, in certain people uh, from uh, let's say European descent would also be equally effective in people from uh, African descent, uh, and they they did so uh, through through their own uh, through their own uh, practices. I hesitate to call them experimentation because this kind of invokes a certain kind of uh, epistemological grounding uh, that I don't think. Think applies to the the sort of world in which they actually develop these uh, these uh, practices, but uh, but certainly something akin to that, uh, and, and and through also their own sensorial avenues, right? That is the other thing that is also crucial that the world in which they were working does not only work, uh, did not only kind of uh, uh, transpire through. The senses that we understand, right? The spiritual world was—they uh, were able to smell the spiritual world, for instance, right? Uh, that, that sort of uh, that sort of uh, space also opens up different possibilities for uh, how is that they also shape the, 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 their own uh, their own practices and the, the, the way people understood their practices, right? Making people sense the world differently, creating the sensorium in which that world will be able to to be recognized. In one of the chapters that you uh, really describe how people feel and sense this um, sensorial landscape, as you call it, uh, is the chapter on wonder and the role of of wonder in how these Moanes um, uh, assert their their legitimacy and their authority in these communities. And and you have here uh, three stories: one of Antonio Congo one of Domingo de la Ascension, and one of Cristobal Luango. Can you um, describe one of those three and a little bit about what we learn about their modes of working? Absolutely. So uh, Antonio Congo, for instance, was one of the most important practitioners in the uh, second half of the 17th century in uh, Cartagena de Indias. And Antonio uh, was uh, somebody who was very much attuned. This is a very good example of... uh, of that, that that idea of exploring that new world with their own tools, somebody was attuned to the presence of Amerindian ancestors 
in the land, also using his own tools. And 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 this is something that 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 uh, I have to emphasize when I say that that, that uh, people of African descent uh, were not uh, uniquely interested in, in kind of preserving or uh, uh, this ideation of of, uh, of uh, struggling to make sure that their own culture surviving in the world. I'm not saying that they did, I'm saying that they were not using those tools that they that they or those ideas that they uh, with which they grew up right like they the people like Antonio Congo were convinced for instance that the underground world was the world of uh, um, uh, ancestral entities and uh, he was uh, very much uh, uh, worried and preoccupied about how to manage those spaces. With, the, with those tools that he brought from West Central Africa, but uh, for them to, uh, for them and for Antonio specifically to uh, to demonstrate authority, um, he made use of uh, uh, of uh, very specific events. In the case of Antonio, uh, one of my favorite stories in how he controlled right uh, what uh, he called. Un huracán, a hurricane, right? A, a word that we have to remember also is a word of Caribbean origin, right? Uh, a Taino word. Uh, and and how in controlling that world, uh, they, they, they cemented that authority, right? Over that material uh, space. Uh, and, and again, as I said before, and I want to reiterate this, uh, it is in that space of, uh, of uh, control, classification, experimentation, uh, over the natural world, that these uh, that these historical actors become uh, crucial crucial part of how that uh, understanding of nature, how the world actually works in the Caribbean, becomes important. Um, Domingo La Ascensión was famous in Cuba and traveled all around uh, the um, around the the central and southern and eastern part of the island, uh, and and Domingo was also somebody who made uh, continuous use of uh, these uh, practices uh, for uh, for good uh, for good use including uh, uh, transmutations including uh, uh, the uh, the conversion of water into into uh, blood uh, and in many cases they they were very uh, very much using what we will consider to be uh, tricks right like for instance, domingo la ascension uh, ostensibly said that he had been using uh, um, attack to to injure himself uh, when he was uh, 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 transforming uh, uh, the transmutating the water into into blood. Uh, and I, and again, the reason, at least for me, the reason that, that, that this becomes so important for them is because it is in these moments when uh, when that that uh, experiential uh, power becomes so important, right? These were not people who can who, who claim authority basis based on uh, kind of uh, titles or traditions like uh, like for instance the physicians were increasingly doing in Europe right this is these are not the physicians of the uh, of, uh, of biomedicine where people trust their authority largely because medicine actually works right in, in very tangible ways right. Uh, there, these these physicians of the of the 17th century uh, based their authority in their that is scholastic tradition of the university in which uh, it was titles and their their uh, their management of uh, certain kinds of of uh, of, uh, of philosophical claims allow them to 
to be in control of, of, uh, of at least uh, the imagination of the body as it was. But for people like, like Amigo La Ascension, the way in which they, they will gain authority was through that demonstration that they actually knew how to control the world in wondrous ways, right? Thank you. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about how you think uh, the story relates to um, what we think of as the bigger narratives of the scientific revolution? Or does it affect how we see um, the meanings of wonder, experience, and um, empiricism uh, in the new science in this era? Absolutely. And, and again, this is uh, something that, that, that I was about to mention, too, right? Wonders, as we know very well from the narrative of the scientific revolution, become also very, very important, right, in, in, the, uh, in the cementing of uh, the epistemologies of uh, uh, natural philosophers. Uh, and uh, in the case of, of, the, of what the historical actors in the experience of Caribbean are doing, I believe that the, what the what we can see here is that these projects, right, these projects that are uh, emerging in Europe about how to describe the world uh, from experience uh, tangibly, right? How to how to walk away, right, from from the uh, imposition of uh, of uh, first principles, right, or dogma as a way of knowing the world was not exclusively an European project, right? That the circumstances of the Atlantic and the circumstances of the Caribbean, in particular, uh, uh, made that people like uh, Africans uh, and their descendants engage in similar projects within their own worlds, right? Uh, and uh, this is not to say this is important, right? That the, that the, the uh, history of uh, these uh, historical actors is uh, similar or that it fits uh, squarely within the histories of the scientific revolution. It's rather to say that there, there were, during the 17th century, multiple projects aimed at describing the world. And more importantly, right, this is something that, that, that is not important only, only for the 17th century, but afterwards, that if we're really interested in histories of knowledge production, we need to go beyond the limited uh, epistemological spaces of the uh, of uh, scientism and historicism, right? That the uh, the narratives that uh, and the uh, uh, the location of these historical actors, as you mentioned before, as others in histories of culture or religion, is not enough. If we are really interested in in, in understanding how how people understood the world materially, right? It's not how they think or how they imagine. This is how they, they work, work for them and how authority about managing nature was created. And, and again, that it was not only uh, that innovation, creativity, experimentation, uh, the, 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 the idea of, of intellectual innovation did not only flow through uh, through European channels or through the histories of uh, the scientific revolution, that these processes were happening everywhere. And if we're interested, again, in the Caribbean, these are the actors that we have to look at. And I think we should be interested because it also locates uh, a, a very much in the in the old 
provincializing Europe idea, uh, kind of that scientific revolution within a very specific context, right? Uh, these, uh, these, all these tools function and work in, in very specific social contexts and, and, call, and, and political and economic, but also material contexts. And so do you think that the work of these Moanes um, in their Maleo, did it have historical consequences? Does it, uh, does it change history? Well, this is the precise point, right? Like, uh, it depends on what kind of, what history are you talking about, right? We're talking about that history that is in Mark in the, in the, in historicism, right? Uh, that, that, the narratives that, that, that incorporates them into a sort of uh, a march, uh, that, uh, that we can define and we can understand through European lenses. Uh, there are certainly, uh, uh, ideas about how culture, societal practices uh, populating the region uh, are, became shaped by, by, by these Mohanis. Now, I don't think that that is the most important way in which uh, they, uh, they, they shape those spaces. I think that they, 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 for me, one of the lessons here is that uh, there, is a, uh, 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 there is something that is lost, right? When we only look at them you know, through the lenses of those historical processes, in, in which we tend to think uh, again through the lenses of historicism, right? That, that there is this vast history here uh, that is that doesn't fit very well within within the usual trajectories of empires, capitalism, uh, the scientific revolution, Atlantic history in general, right? But that 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 exists, that that is accessible, and that it actually we're thinking about again how people uh, felt. The world in which they live, we we need to think differently about those trajectories, right? Uh, so uh, certainly, uh, for me, the, the 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 even if though even if those practices uh, did not necessarily survive, uh, and some of them actually did, uh, it it shows the importance of uh, examining those uh, curialized spaces, the space that do not seem to be fit very well within those anachronistic anachron- categories of the indigenous, the African, the other, right? The slave, um, as they function in, in the in the construction of the narratives of the West, right? That there is something else here that we have been missing all along, and that is larger than than, than the spaces that in which we inscribe it in the, again, in those histories that, 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 that we tend to think when we think about history, uh, uh, as historical practice, right? As he developed in the West. And so, yeah, and so their uh, position and their uh, moment in, in history uh, is um, limited, it seems. Uh, you know, eventually the plantation system does uh, begin to, to cement. What happens to them then, or, or the, the opportunity for their, um, their agency and their work? But, but I, you know, but I don't think that they disappear, right? I, I, I think that those uh, practices, those uh, embodied practices remain in the region, right? They remain in ways that are not recognizable as easily. And that's, that's the point, right? Because they're not recognizable as easily with the tools that uh, historicism provides us with, right? And that the, uh, that the, the sort of ways of moving this ways, the ways of uh, sensing, understanding how uh, that, that 
that the world, the body uh, kind of uh, behaves. Uh, they, they, and this is what I said before. Uh, the, the thing, the crucial part of this history is that we have to remember these communities that never disappear, right? That the, 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 the communities of African descent, they have places in, in Hispaniola, in the New Kingdom of Granada, for sure, where the plantation system never took root. Uh, in uh, in places like Cuba, those uh, those uh, those ideas about how the world works remain in place, right? They muted, they they changed. Obviously, they did not remain static, precisely because the nature of the practices is 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 the engaging is is not an aim of survival. It's engaging with the world as it comes as it is transformed, right? Uh, and uh, and and so so it is because of that 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 they seem to have disappeared, but they never did actually, right? We another example. Of, this is not one that that uh, that, that figures in the book, but uh, but there there the ways in which we examine, for instance, the tool of of these practitioners usually tend to be um, tend to be seen. Under the lenses of ethnographies that uh, that we have from 20th century anthropologists, right? Uh, the way in which we evaluate, for instance, uh, um, ritual tools, which is very problematic again, because if uh, what the experiential Korean is proposing is true, and I believe it is, right, that that these tools and, uh, and these practices are are located within something that is somehow ephemeral, right? That we that that we can capture uh, completely. Uh, they are necessarily adapting, right, uh, to to each one of those historical spaces that ensued after the 17th century. Uh, but the, but as you see, is is in that way of practices, is in that way of sensing that that remain for sure. Uh, wonderful, thank you. Uh, but I have uh, one more question. But before I get to it, is there anything about your book that we've missed that you want to make sure is added here, or any? A uh, specific character, any person that you want to make sure their story. Well, <laughs> it is hard for me to, you know, to to know what people what people miss. Uh, one thing that I, I always uh, I always underscore, and I uh, and I and I think this is uh, something that that uh, um, I try to emphasize in the book. It is the uh, how it also changes uh, how we think about uh, gender dynamics in in the. In the region, right, uh, and it, it is uh, not only my work, but the work of several other scholars working in that early, early period. We see uh, the presence of very powerful female figures, right? People like Paula de Guilouz. Uh Unfortunately, the, the historical records does is not as rich in, in the ways in which they are described in the. Um, in the in the in the Inquisition, for instance, in the Inquisition records, we we do not have as rich descriptions as the ones that we have for people like Francisco Mandinga, again, uh, Bernardo Macaya, Antonio Congo, uh, Diego Lopez, um, with with few exceptions, and Paulo Iglesias being one of them. Uh, we we can see, uh, however, that uh, that it was uh, women, for instance, who, the people who were. At the center of these economies of healing and health, in places like Cartagena de Indias, and 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 this is obviously also from the number of denunciations that that were brought up. And again, this is something that uh, that, as I said before, uh, kind of escapes the, the usual trajectories of of, 
of historicism uh, and, and digital trajectories uh, through which we see black women, right, and their, their role in the in the Atlantic. Uh, so that is, a, I think, a, a something very important. They, these were also invest, invested and involved in the very same kind of process that we usually tend to assign to white males, right, again, in Europe. So, uh, uh, but thank you for the opportunity to say that because uh, I think that that is some, also something that... Uh, uh, that I, I really attempted people to see. Yeah. So my last question is about the sources. Uh, you, as I read this book, uh, I'm continuously astounded by the amount of detail and information you are able to gather about these practitioners. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what the sources were like that you used for this and how they shaped the way this project came together? Absolutely. I mean, as I said before, I was very lucky. This is a, a very rich trove of, of, of uh, records that uh, survive in, in uh, mostly in the uh, Archivo Historico Nacional in Madrid and in other spaces in the Archivo General de Indias. Uh, I use uh, sources also coming from uh, the Jesuit archives and the Vatican archives, uh, but the, uh, and, and the Archivo General de la Nación, of course, in Colombia and several other institutions around the, the United States and Europe. Um, but the, the the meat of, if you will, of, of the project comes from records coming from the Holy Office in Cartagena de Indias, uh, and, and these records are exceptional in several ways. The first is that they were produced in Cartagena de Indias, right? You mean the the Inquisition, the, Inquisition, that the is. Holy Office, yeah. Uh, they 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 um, they are special in in, in 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 a number of ways. First, uh, we have to remember that there were only three uh, three Inquisition offices in the Spanish Americas. Uh, well, in the New World, as a matter of fact, in 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 New Spain, in in Mexico City, in, uh, in Peru, in Lima, and the Inquisition in Cartagena. The Inquisition in Cartagena uh, basically was in charge of. Uh, of uh, of uh, processing uh, all the initiations coming from uh, the uh, most of the Caribbean uh, and again the northern part of Nicaragua, Granada, Panama, Venezuela. It is the the kind of records that that we have uh, and, the, and the the information that I was able to translate comes mostly from uh, those first uh, audiences, those first encounters when these practitioners are by themselves in front of the Inquisition, uh, and have not been uh, yet uh, in uh, put in contact or have uh, kind of spent too much time in, in, the, in the inquisitorial realm. Why is that important? Because they are very candid uh, about uh, how they perceive the world, how they understand what is uh, what uh, happening, why is that they were brought up to the Inquisition. Uh, and... Uh, and unlike, for instance, the history that comes from uh, the Inquisition in Brazil, they were not somehow kind of shaped by the months that uh, these uh, practitioners spending in both in the jail in Brazil and then later in transit to their trials in, in Portugal. Uh, uh, and at the same time, they, they, they also speak to a certain kind of, of, uh, of freedom, right, of uh, practices, right? That many of them had no idea where they were brought because they were the practices were so commonplace in, in the region. And as a matter of fact, many of them were for decades before they were brought up to the Inquisition. And in many cases they did so 
uh, on the basis of the they appear on the basis of denunciations by physicians who brought them uh, because they were their competitors, right? Um, so these these records um, transcribe as much as you know as 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 as, as, it, as we we can understand or or, or, or it was possible verbatim uh, their declarations, right? Uh, they had uh, the Inquisition in Cartagena had access to translators for uh, about 70 African languages coming from the uh, college, uh, the Jesuit college in Cartagena. Yes. So many of them spoke through translators, even after decades of being in Cartagena, many of them did not speak uh, Castilian. Um, so that is another important thing for me. Right. There is a mediation here, but I think that you will be hard pressed to find records coming from the 17th century that actually have uh, as close uh, uh, detail of uh, what people of African descent, and especially Africans, were actually thinking. Uh, uh, in, in, this, in this regard, Cartagena's records are, uh, and I said this all the time, is they are uh, more telling about what Africans and their conceptions of the world were uh, than uh, the the usual missionary records that we have from from the continent itself. I mean, from West and West Central Africa, and, uh, through Capuchin and Jesuit missionaries, that, that are most of the information that we have. These are people speaking, uh, you know, uh, out of their own volition uh, in front of the Inquisition. Again, with all the issues that, and I understand the 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 the, the, the constraints of of the, that inquisitorial realm. But those first audiences are very, very rich, precisely because of, of uh, what I just said. Well, fascinating. So uh, I absolutely love this book, Pablo, and uh, it, it uh, deeply has influenced my own thinking about this era. Uh, what are you working on now? Well, first, thank you. Uh, I'm glad that, that you enjoyed the book. Um, I am right now working on a project of uh, uh, that... Uh, uh, aims to, to, to trace the history of uh, uh, the quantification of uh, corporality, quantification of human bodies uh, to uh, these Atlantic and Mediterranean spaces, uh, slave spaces in the 16th and 17th centuries. So this is tracing back and, and it's also appending a little bit uh, traditional histories of uh, medical mathematics uh, uh, and even of uh, uh, political economy, right? Like, I'm, I'm looking at how uh, slave traders and slave trading communities all around the Atlantic came out first, even during the last decades of the 16th century and early decades of the 17th century, with ideas about fungible bodies, uh, nosology, uh, and treatments uh, for universal bodies, uh, that, uh, and ideas about risk that, that we usually only think emerge later in the 17th century and in, in the 18th century uh, in terms of political economy, demographics uh, in uh, European spaces. Uh, so that is the project that I'm involving right now. I'm uh, hoping to finish a monograph uh, within the next uh, year or so. Well, I can't wait to read it. Uh, thank you again for your time and uh, uh, good luck. Thank you very much. <laughs>